Father, we just thank you for your presence here today. Father, we just thank you for the joy and the excitement of, of baptisms and what that means for these three young guys and we just are uh, here. It's just so good. And Father, I just pray as I share about baptism this morning that you just anoint these words that will just bring clarity into people's minds and hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Jesus came as a Messiah according to the Jewish prophecy to fulfill Jewish promises. And in Jesus, what we see is that God, that God was to reign as king, not just over all the Jewish people, but God was to reign over the king, over all the nations. In Psalm chapter 2, it says, You are my son, I'll make the nations your inheritance, and the ends of the earth will be your possession. You see, King Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, but he's the king of the world. And the kingdom that he, he announced and that we are part of is a revolutionary kingdom, a kingdom that's not like any, other king, any of the kingdoms of the world. And all those who follow Jesus through the waters of baptism enter into this kingdom. And that's what our topic is going to be this morning. It's going to be the theme for this morning. I want to talk about it, is through the waters of baptism. Um, you know, if we, if we think about this, the story of Jesus, Jesus born, I mean, we, we all know the story. I mean, we've had our Christmas cards or whatever. Jesus is born um, to Mary and Joseph, and the shepherds come to worship and the whole thing happening there. And, um, you know, we understand that in that process, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus is born, and right after his birth, born, his family have to flee to Egypt. <coughs> Excuse me. God hears that, that there's been a king born, a, a rival king. And so Herod does what all empires do. When there's a rival, he sends out the death squads to kill the person he perceives as a rival. And so, the, so Jesus' family had to flee to Egypt. And when the time is right, they come back, and Mary and Joseph with Jesus come back, and they sit on the town of Nazareth. And Nazareth is where Jesus grows up. Jesus spends his boyhood growing up with his dad. He joins the family business. He becomes a carpenter. And he does that until the age of 30 when he enters his public ministry. Living in, a, in the Nazareth with his family, going to synagogue, worshipping the living God and, worship, and working with his dad. But then into the Jesus story comes John the Baptist. And the John is a wild figure. John the Baptist is living amongst a group of people who have separated themselves from the rest of the community and they're living in the desert. And he is a wild man. I mean, he wears wild clothes, his diet is bugs and sugar. You know, he lives on locusts and wild honey. He lives out in the wilderness and he's proclaiming God's kingdom and baptizing people in the Jordan River. And at this point... Jesus and John connect. Then Jesus came from Galilee. This is Matthew chapter 3. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you, do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us to do to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as John was baptized, uh, sorry, as, G as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love, with him I am well pleased. So John uh, so Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And John's really taken back by this. I mean, see, he knows exactly who Jesus is. 
In the Gospel of John, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, John the Baptist says, hey, look, people, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So he knew who Jesus was, probably by revelation of the Spirit of God. He knew that Jesus was the one. He knew that Jesus was the Christ. He was the one who was going to come to be the reigning king, the one that all the law and the prophets, all the Old Testament have been speaking about. He was going to be God's ruling and reigning king, the one that was going to bring God's kingdom to the earth. You know, imagine how John felt standing there. This is him. He's, you know, baptizing people. Baptizing. He turns around and there's Jesus. And immediately he knows who this is. This is him. This is the one who's going to take away the sins of the world. And, and, and he's standing there and John, I'm sure, would have been, his heart would have been beating faster and he would have been in anticipation. And then Jesus comes to him and says, John, now you've got to baptize me. And it, and it would have just been stunning for John to have heard that. Now, John was baptizing, tells us, in the river Jordan. And, and, you know, it was not by chance that John was actually baptizing people in that river. Because this is an incredibly important river in the story of the people of God. It's the river that the people of God promised when they were, uh, sorry, they were the, the river, yes, that the people of God crossed when they came into the promised land. See, Joshua chapter 3 tells us a story. 1,400 years before, 1,400 BC, God calls a man called Abraham. And he gives him a promise. He says, Abraham, listen, you're going to become a father. But it was even more of a crazy promise than that. He says, you're going to become a father of nations. Now, you know, nice promise. But Abraham was 100, or around about 100. So, you know, and, and here's God saying, listen, Abraham, he's never had a child. His wife's never born a child to him. And all of a sudden, in their hundreds, God trucks on in and says, you're going to have children. You're going to have a child. And he's going to be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. God promises Abraham's descendant a land, a place where they will worship as a living creator God. And, and so the story unfolds. And, and Abraham indeed does have a child. And, and, goes, and then as the children begin to grow, as his family begins to become large, they're carried off as slaves into Egypt. And they end up living a slave life, not exactly a life of great promise. They're cheap labor for the empire of Egypt. And they're crying out, and they're God, you know, we had this promise, what's happening? And God goes down to Egypt because he hears the cries of his people. The people of promise that God has said we're going to bless the whole world. He hears them crying out and he calls one of the people, Moses. And he says, Moses, you're going to go and tell Pharaoh that it's time to go. And so Moses goes into the palace, tells Pharaoh. And, and again, most of us would know the story of the plagues and all that happened. And ultimately, Moses leads the people of God out of slavery and into, into Egypt. That's the great Exodus story, the Exodus event. And they're wandering around the wilderness led by God. And they're very unsure. There's all kinds of problems going on. Some of the people want to go back to Egypt. They say it's better for us to be back there. But others have heard the stories of promised land. And they say, no, no, we're going to keep heading forward. And they keep going and they move towards the promised land. And eventually they find themselves just outside of the land that God had promised to the people. And what separates them from this promised land is the Jordan River. And Moses, he leads the children of Israel to the banks of the Jordan 
to that place of promise. Right on the other side is the promised land. And there Moses dies. Sucks for Moses. And God raises up another leader, Joshua. And Joshua is instructed to lead the children of Israel through the Jordan into the promised land. And so for the children of Israel, the river Jordan represented salvation. It represented redemption. It represented the promises of God. And so a thousand years later, here we are again at that same river. Now in the waters, John the Baptist and standing on the bank is Jesus. The same river that Joshua led the children of Israel through. The important thing about this is Joshua has, in Hebrew, his name is Yeshua. And the interesting thing about that is that when you translate Jesus' name to Hebrew, it's also Yeshua. And so here, while Moses had led the children of Israel to the bank, and now Joshua, Yeshua, has led the people of God through the Jordan and the promised land. God had a plan to save the whole world, and it was all dependent on Yeshua going through the waters of the Jordan River. And so John, so Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And there at the Jordan River, John the Baptist is announcing the kingdom of God, the revolutionary kingdom of God. And John the Baptist says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. You see, that was the message that John was preaching. Repent. Repent. Repent actually means rethink things. What it really means is to realign your life based on the reality of the kingdom of God. So John's saying, repent, realign your life, rethink how you do everything based on the kingdom of heaven because it's at hand. And you know, this kingdom is not in heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is not a kingdom in heaven, but listen, it's a kingdom from heaven. A, a kingdom that has been sent from heaven to invade earth. And here's John the Baptist preparing the way of the king by saying, repent for the kingdom is hand. And now who comes before John the Baptist? But Yeshua, Jesus. And he comes to John the Baptist. And again, John the Baptist recognizes him, knows who he is, protests, Jesus, you're the king. I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. You're the one. I'm just here getting ready, things ready for you. I'm preparing the people for you. And now you're here. You, he, you take over the baptism duties. And Jesus says, no, John, you have to baptize me. Matthew 3.15, Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. See, Jesus says, no, John, you've got to baptize me. I have to be baptized. I have to go through the rivers of Jordan because this will fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness is really a Jewish word, which means it's a covenant word. It's connected to the God's promises to Abraham. You see, Jesus did this not because he had to repent of his personal sin. Jesus was not being baptized to cover or wash away personal sin. We believe as a church in baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Baptism is an outward sign of something happening inward as we come to Christ to find the forgiveness of our sins. And sometimes the church uses that language of our sins being washed away because baptism is about this enactment of God's forgiveness. Baptism is such a powerful thing. 
And Jesus did not need to be baptized because he had personal sin. This is not what he said to John. Jesus said to John, baptize me because my baptism is going to fulfill all right, uh, righteousness. You see, Jesus was actually reenacting the Exodus story. His name is Yeshua. And just as Joshua led the children of Israel through the waters of the Jordan into the promised land, Jesus is reenacting that. Going through the Jordan River, Jesus is taking the people, the people of God, you and I, through the waters of the Jordan River, announcing a new exodus. Then we are now creating, uh, uh, we are now entering into God's new creation. So for Jesus, this wasn't about personal sin. This was a, a sign, to be a sign, that Jesus leads people through the rivers of Jordan in order to lead all who would believe in him into God's revolutionary kingdom. See, Jesus leads people through the waters of baptism in order to lead all who would believe in God's revolutionary kingdom into that kingdom. Jesus is the leader of a new people of God, the new humanity. And symbolically, when we go into the waters of baptism, he's leading us through the waters of the Jordan River into the kingdom of God. So the question for each one of us is this. Do you believe? Do you want to believe? Do you want to believe that this kingdom is real? Do you want to believe that this is a kingdom of forgiveness? A kingdom of healing? A kingdom where things are made right? Because you see, there's an invitation for every single one of us to be part of it. To be part of it. And how does that start? It starts by repenting. You begin to rethink some things in your life. You begin to rethink your life based on this new revolutionary kingdom of Jesus. Beginning to learn to walk the Jesus way. See, John, Jesus was being very faithful to God's plan. And John is telling, too many Johns and Jesus. Jesus is telling John the Baptist that there's a way we need to go to, to fulfill God's plan. And that's through the waters of baptism. Jesus had remained faithful to God's plan. And you see, when we go through the waters of baptism, everything gets reworked in Jesus. Everything gets reworked in Jesus. Because the kingdom of God is like nothing anyone has ever seen before. Joshua, when he crossed the Jordan, he killed the Canaanites that were in the land. When Jesus crossed the Jordan, everyone gets saved. Everyone gets a new life. When Joshua crossed the Jordan, he killed God's enemies. When jo Jesus crossed the Jordan, he was killed by God's enemies so that you and I could have eternal life. And eternal life, it doesn't start when you die and go to heaven, but starts the moment that you align yourself with it. The kingdom of God is a completely upside-down kingdom. It is truly a revolutionary kingdom. Why? Because it's defined by love. See, all the kingdoms of the world are defined by power and control, and the strongest always wins. But in the kingdom of God, it's totally revolutionary because it's, it's defined by love. It's defined by, not by hate, not by what you're against. The kingdom, of love, uh, the kingdom of God is defined and shaped by love. And that's what makes it so truly revolutionary, that this is a kingdom of love that Jesus leads us into. This is what Jesus is leading us into through the Jordan River in the act of baptism. 
See, love is a revolution, people. Now, as soon as you say that, you can get into trouble because even though we know the word love, I mean, it's a very weak word in the English language. You know, I love chocolate ice cream. <laughs> I love burgers. It's a problem. I love the TV programs. I love my dog. I love my mum. I love Jesus. See, there are all these kinds of love. But for a Christian, when we use the word love, when we say this is a kingdom that is defined by love, it's not, about, it's not, um, it's not what we attribute as value. It's not love, not love based on the quality we give something. You see, when we talk about love like that, we love ice cream. We say, oh, I love chocolate ice cream. It's the value I put on chocolate ice cream that makes my love for it, where someone else might not like chocolate ice cream, so they don't love it. Do you understand? It's what I feel about it. But for Christians, love is a quality that is connected to our connectivity to God, who is love. In other words, that God that we worship is love. You see that in the very essence and nature of God, there is love. And as we are connected to this God, we are transformed into people of love. So as followers of the Jesus way, we don't choose to love certain things. We are people of love. Because that is the kind of love that we find in Christ. The God that we worship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The word for that is Trinity. God is one. But he's been revealed to us in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've been loving one another for all of eternity. You see, that's why we're able to say that God is love. It's not a self-love. God doesn't love himself. He's not an egotist. It's not a, God is not selfish in his love. We are saying that God is love. We're saying that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And those three have been loving one another in a self-giving love relationship that has existed from even before creation. This is who God is. The very nature of God is love. And so this revolutionary kingdom is based on love. A love that is self-giving. A love that is co-suffering. A love that is not me first. It's not what, what you can do for me kind of love. It's a love that we see within the nature of God. That's the heart of the revolutionary kingdom. The kind of love that shapes and defines who we are. It's the love that we see manifested in God, in the Trinity. And it's on, never on better display than in the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew 3, as I read it before, we see Jesus, the Son of God, being baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him. So you have the Son and the Spirit. And then you hear the voice of the Father saying, this is my Son that I love. And he makes me happy. You see, that's the picture of the nature of God, what he looks like. I love you and, I make, and you make me happy. We see all that in the baptism of Jesus. And so baptism for us becomes a doorway. Baptism becomes a portal for us to leave, in a sense, this broken down world and enter into God's kingdom. Yes, we still live within the part of the broken world. Yes, we have to um, participate with it every day. We have to interact in it. But our values and our, our source of strength and peace is different because now we live as citizens of the kingdom of God and we draw on that. We live the Jesus way. 
We leave behind the kingdoms built on empire and power, on idolatry and injustice, and we enter into the kingdom of love where God rules and reigns. The doorway for us is baptism. And so all of those who follow Jesus through the waters of baptism can enter into this revolutionary kingdom. The doorway is baptism. You see, and it's about, and those who are being baptized are serious about connecting their lives to Jesus Christ. They want to experience the love and the new life that we've been talking about. And the way to that, for every single one of us, it begins through baptism. And, I, and as you do that, as we step in today, we know that God is going to speak to these young men. We know that. We get to hear from God the Father. God loves us and he touches each one of us. We get to hear God the Father say, you're my son or you're my daughter and I love you. I'm so happy with you. It doesn't matter what people have said about you or no matter if it gets repeated over you or whatever. The truth is that you are a person of value and worth and dignity because you were created in the image of God. And God does indeed love you and God does indeed care about you. You know, so much of this world communicates to us that we're not good enough. Turn TV on and watch a few adverts tonight that tell you everything you need from lipstick to eyeliner to a new hairpiece. You know, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough for looking. You know, it's, we're just simply people that need to add something in to make ourselves worthy or valuable. But in the revolutionary kingdom, you hear a different voice. You hear a voice that says, you're my son, you're my daughter and I love you. And God says, I'm happy with you. Wherever you are on the spectrum, wherever you are on the spectrum, as being part of the kingdom of God, God loves you and accepts you. And the announcement of the kingdom of God has come to Jesus. Follow Jesus where he will take you. And you'll find a life that you always dreamed of, the life that you've always wanted, whether you've been able to articulate it or not. So the message of the kingdom is come to God the way that you are. Come to Jesus the way that you are. And all you have to do is humble yourself before Jesus. Come to him and he'll accept you exactly the way you are. You know, we don't have to, to um, do good and try to clean our act up. You know, oh, I'm not good enough for God. Yeah. I mean, God, there's a story of an of a, 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 a adulterer and encounters Jesus and Jesus forgives her and then says, go and sin no more. Whereas the world says, sin no more and then you're worthy. Jesus accepted her and loved her and then said, sin no more. Jesus, Jesus accepts us wherever we are. And as you start hanging out with Jesus and hanging out with the people of God, what you find is you're going to change. Because the kingdom of God that is defined by love, when you encounter God's love, it begins to change you. You can't stay the same when you encounter the real love of God. And that's foundational to being the people of God. You see, being the people of God, uh, being people in God's kingdom is being connected to God. And we, we have to experience the love of God because it's that experience that will transform us and change us into people of love. Sometimes it's fast. Sometimes it's fast. But to be honest from experience, the change is quite a process sometimes as well. Let's be honest. It may be quick, but it may take time. But all you have to do is come to Jesus. So how does this happen? Come bring them all down. That's cool. Our children.
Baptism is connecting to Jesus Christ and his saving and forgiving work. You know, we believe as a church that Jesus, sorry, we believe in one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. You come to Jesus following him through the waters of baptizing, baptism, connecting your life to Jesus. And you know, the really cool thing is that this morning, this is our first baptisms here at our new house, 119. Uh, Christopher Steele, we've got Isaiah Papa, and we've got Isaac German. Three young men of this house. They're really sons of this house, which is so cool. And I think it's pretty significant that these three great young men are stepping in to make this public declaration before us. So it's so cool. Today, you know, they're declaring allegiance to Jesus, allegiance to the kingdom of God, following the way of Jesus through the waters of baptism, publicly declaring and connecting their lives to Jesus. And so what we're going to do now is we're actually going to invite you. We're going to be part of this. You know, this is, it's not, when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're not just talking about someone coming and doing an individual thing up here. We're actually talking about us as a family of God standing with them. You understand that? And I know there are a lot of friends and family here as well, so we're going to go through this. This, as I said, is our first time that we're doing baptisms. So yesterday morning at 10 o'clock, we could not heat this pool. It was ice cold. But Andrew here, our plumber, we worked on it for a few hours yesterday, and now it's warm and scrunchy. So that's good news for everybody. <laughs> so we're going to so we might be having to work a little bit out this morning, so you need to be patient. So how are we going to do it? Is we're going to do Isaiah?